there are RPGs long forgotten beyond that which is known to the modern gamer. It is a catalog vast as space and timeless as myth and legends. It is the middle ground where panelists from RP Gamer discuss computer and console RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. This is a dimension of adventure beyond your imagination. This is the RPG Backtrack. And here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Philip Willis and Mike Meeky. Welcome to RPG Backtrack or something. Or what number are we up to now? Oh, number 43. 43. Um, this, is the, uh, this is the April wrap-up edition where we do our Blast from the Recent Pass and PC Pit Stop. To help me out with our first segment, the Blast from the Recent Pass, I have my, my cohort in arms, Mr. Mike Meeky. You only want me so we can share the pain of two years ago. <laughs> and the gentleman who's inflicted the pain of April 2008 upon me, Mr. Mike, Michael, a.k.a. Mac Cunningham, Mac Storm. <laughs> he should be called Mac Dark Storm. Insidious Storm. Evil Plotting Storm. So, in Blast from the Recent Past, as our listeners, most of them know, we talk about games that came out this time two years ago. So you need to you need to go back to April 2008. It was a swing in time. Girls were wearing short skirts, paddle... Oh, nine, take nap it. <laughs> but it feels yes, like... Yes, we're already into the Obama years now. I, I'm just trying to forget, really. <laughs> just... <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so 2009, you know, where girls were wearing poodle skirts and had their hair up in pigtails and things like that, and men thought I that they... I like, out more. Yeah, men... I, I missed this. And thought big white collars were cool and stuff. Um, I had just started doing reviews for, as Mr. Mac would say, RPG Gamer. And, um, and he had sent me a couple of rev- – uh, I think he sent me one and I bought the other one. I can't remember. But anyways, um, so the, the, the first one that I got was Dokapon Journey. And I was actually kind of excited. This is how, this is how our editor-in-chief works. He asks you questions, <laughs> makes you. I was an editor in chief back then. I was just a lowly PR guy trying to find games. You were evil, play. just as evil back then. And, and, that is true. And what he would do to us lowly newbie uh, reviewees is he would ask us questions and make us think we had some input on the process. He'd find a game that kind of sounded like something we'd like, so we buy into it, and then he see send us an utter piece of stinking pile of crap. And that's what and I got with That's Do- a problem? That's what there's I There's a problem with that? Yeah, there's a big problem with that. <laughs> Dokapon Journey took away hours of my life, yeah, precious yeah. hours, that I'll never get back again. So, the game wasn't going to review itself. <laughs> yes, Mr. Minky. This is the kind of game that Nicks would have nowadays, don't you know? <sighs> Isn't that right, Nick? Yes. And she would take it with a smile on her face and then cry in a corner later. <laughs> Dokapon Journey is uh, was developed by Suzak, published by uh, Atlas for the Nintendo DS, released here in North America on April 14, 2009. This is a single-player and multiplayer party-style RPG experience for your Nintendo DS system, rated E for EU. So, <laughs> just, so Dokapon... Yeah. Who did now, you Phil, say it was developed by? 
Suzak. So with it, well, it says published by Sting Atlas. Maybe it was maybe maybe Wiki's wrong here. Maybe it was no, no. I thought we talked about this briefly in the big Sting cast last year. We might have we might have touched base on it. It it was kind of a Sting game, uh, per se, but this one was actually I guess ported by Suzak. Ah, yeah, that's right because it originally came out on the Wii. Yeah, the Wii version was done by Sting, ah. and Sting published this one in Japan. But and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure Suzak just um, converted this version, or they uh, just ported it to the Wii. They ported probably, it to the DS that, from Dokapon Kingdom. Yeah, that's probably exactly what happened. Because uh, there's and, and and if you played uh, Dokapon Kingdom on the Wii, you know exactly what you're getting into with uh, Journey. There really isn't too much of a, a difference uh, uh, between the two. Um, Dokapon Journey is is basically a really big board game <laughs> with a lot of RPG elements in it, or maybe it's an RPG with a lot of board game elements in it. Um, but uh, you make up a, you you pick a character from one of the I, and, and, you know, my information might be a little old here because it was two years ago, and I tried to forget as much of it as I could. Um, <laughs> but you pick a character from one of four archetypes. Uh, you go around the board. You'll run into monsters. Uh, you'll do a very simplistic battle system. Uh, rock, go, paper, scissors Rock, style. paper, scissors style to see if you win or lose. And this rock, paper, scissors style is very prominent. Um, if a monster is anywhere close to your level, you can get knocked out very quickly or knock out a monster very quickly. Uh, just by picking the wrong attack, and there's no way for you to know ahead of time whether to defend or attack or whatever. They give no signal. It's per- it's a perfect game of paper, rocks, and scissors. I mean, it's just it's pure randomness. Um, <laughs> uh, you'll yeah, if your level is significantly above the enemies, then 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 bad luck won't totally wipe you out or anything like that too quickly. But um, and you do uh, you do eventually gain gold. You uh, take over cities that you can collect taxes from. Take that gold, go and buy better armor and that sort of thing. The eventual goal, gosh, jeez, I don't even remember what that was. Something about winning the princess's hand by giving her tons of gold or something. Jeez, uh, I, I don't even remember what the whole point was. I it was, sounds like the plot was not very important. No, it really wasn't. And I was, I, and to be honest, I was kind of looking forward to this because I love, love board games. Um, I absolutely adore board games. I've got you know a dozen of them, even though nobody ever comes over and plays them. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I really, really do like them. So I'm, lo- you know, an RPG and a board game together. I mean, holy cow, he's in heaven. And the last one I played uh, that was something like that was Cold Sept for the PS2, which is absolutely must buy if you have. And bought that one, uh, so I was really looking forward to having something in the palm of my hand that was, you know, similar and at least in quality. And what I got was something that I could smell across the room, whether or not it was in my hand, because it was just that stinky. Um, my biggest problem with Dokapon was that it was just overly simplistic and relied way too heavily on the randomness factor. Uh, since everything comes down, a lot of the battles, a lot of the events in the game come down to rock, paper, scissors, or luck of the dice roll, uh, and really, really huge things happen <laughs> because of random events. I mean, you can have somebody who's way in the lead, and a couple of random, poor random choices, like a beggar will, will run across to you uh, as a random event, and will ask you, would you like to give me some gold or something? You answer him wrong, next thing you know he's taken one half of your gold. Suddenly, you're in fourth place. 
and like, well, what the hell happened? You know, it just um, you're the leader is never really in the lead because he's only one or two random choices uh, behind. And you kind of got that with, let's say, Mario Party. I guess they were trying to kind of get some of that from Mario Party where you have those uh, mini games and stuff that somebody could take the lead or roll the right number and you get an extra star or something. Uh, here, it's much the random element is much more pervasive to the point where the RPG elements are almost just buried. Uh, underneath the 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 weight of how the random factor can just totally turn this game around. So, on top of that, it really was very basic in terms of graphics and sound, uh, even for a DS game. So, just really, really wasn't uh, impressed. Even though I really do like both genres. So now, wouldn't this ideally be a game to play with someone else or more than one person? Uh, that's what people. That's what people tell me. I had a lot of people come back after my review and say, "Hey, this is kind of a." You know, a party game. There's just, I guess, there's two problems with that concept. One is Mac gave it to me to review, and I'm not a party person. <laughs> <laughs> Number two is that the D. I mean, I'm sure there are people who sit around and play their DS in multiplayer mode or whatever have you. But here in America, that's it's kind of like that argument we've had before, where you know how effective is multiplayer type of games on handheld formats in the United States of America? Uh, not very. It's just, yeah. <laughs> so take. Well, let me. Go ahead, Mac. Let me uh, let me interrupt you Absolutely. and just kind of kind of say that having played Dokapon Kingdom on the Wii and didn't really play it much here at the house. Uh, my wife and I played like one game, and you know it was it was fun while it lasted. But when we first tried it out, it was at a Run to the Sun event that um, me and Michael Tidwell, Farmist, and Amory Newfeld, Pause, and former writer Cole Jones, uh, we were at Atlas when they introduced the game to us. We got to sit down, play at four players, and it was a fun little game to, you know, kind of jump into and play. And when you played it in that aspect, you know, with four people just kind of doing that, it really was kind of fun. I mean, it wasn't that deep. Uh, It was more board game with randomness than anything that required any amount of skill. And that was the one thing that, you know, is kind of hard to judge because you know it's not great. You know that you're going into this and that it's not like a fantastic experience. But at the same time, you gotta got to sit and think, well, it's also just a board game. I mean, you don't really want to play it overall as you would an RPG. And that's what we kind of have to review in the mindset of, and you know, so, what so you're you telling me to... that no one tries to play Monopoly by his or herself. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. <laughs> and but the thing, there, there's if you do, you'd have a much different experience. Would there's, you not? there's, there's a couple of things. One is I'm actually I like board games so much. I actually enjoy playing. Uh, a number of them against the computer. I, I mean, the social aspect certainly adds to any board game experience, no doubt about it. Right. But if it's not there and the game is still good, Cultcept is a great example because Cultcept is Magic the Gathering plus a board game put together, and it's definitely meant to be played as a party type of game or at least with another person. And I put 60, 80 hours in that game single player alone. And, and I mean, it's just, you know, I, I think my problem with Dokipon was that. You know, Coldcept does a really, really great job. Have you ever played it? It's monopoly. I guess I just said that. But their random elements are there, but they have to work in tendium. In order to win, you need some luck, but you also need some strategy. 
In Dokapon, right. those random events are so pervasive, and they're integrated into every single thing that you do, and I do mean everything, and they can totally change the game at any point in time as to make everything but the random elements seem kind of worthless, including any kind of, you know, is it important which class I pick? Is it important how I play that class? Or is it important the decisions I make? Or if I go after this town or that town? I mean, even Monopoly, which has a, a very high degree of randomness to, to it, does you know it does reward you a little bit for thinking somewhat strategically it just it just felt like to me that dokapon in making that random element so pervasive pervasive whatever it just totally stripped out the reward i would feel by making good choices i can totally see where you're coming from on that i don't i don't disagree with you at all i just um having played dokapon kingdom at least in a more basic um, layout or design I kind of at least see where they're coming from, the people that do enjoy it, even if I didn't either. If I didn't. It wasn't something – I would just like to see if, if all they had done was just you know just tone down the random elements. Don't eliminate them. We all need random elements in a board game. I think my, my rev- it would have turned from a 2 to a 4 that quick because they had a lot of great concepts there. It's just that they, they totally negate the need for uh, you know most of the – who cares if you're – of course you need to level up a little bit. That's going to happen throughout the game anyways. You, you know. Right. But uh, <laughs> unless the guy's the exact same level as you and picks the same thing you do, rock, rock, paper, paper, whatever, the, the fact that you have plus five more armor or you have an extra spell up your sleeve or whatever have you is almost meaningless. Right. Uh, that's, uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely if you, yeah, if you're there with a bunch of people, especially if you have some beers involved, <laughs> uh, then that's not going to really matter. We had, uh, I think we had donuts or bagels or something. Well, so. ah, sugar rush. Sugar rush, just as bad as being addicted to alcohol. So, <laughs> or being drunk, Mr. Minky. Did you want to get drunk after playing The Dark Spire? I have blocked that memory. So, another game inflicted <laughs> upon me by Mr. Max Storm. Uh, the Dark Spire... Uh, I shared it this time. It and you shared it. On me, too. That's right. And that's how Mr. Minky and I became such close, close friends. <laughs> and have done now 30 episodes of RPG Backtrack together out of that friendship because we both went to a very dark place together. <laughs> the Dark Spire was developed by Success, published by Atlas here in North America for the Nintendo DS, released on April 14, 2009, same day as Dokapon. Uh, this is a console old-school RPG single-player experience for your Nintendo DS system. Rated E for eek! Um, oh, handheld. Handheld console. <laughs> yeah. 
So if this game brought you all together. All I can say is you're welcome. Yeah, sure. Well, hey, Phil. Hey, do you Mike. Remember, do you remember how awesome battles are where a whole round goes by and everybody misses on both sides? No, 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 Mike. Isn't that awesome? Mike, do you remember how awesome it is when a battle goes by for one round and your entire party gets wiped out? I do. And you lose all your progress because it uses an old school saving system. No, it doesn't. You can actually save it any time. That oh. was good. Oh, okay. I'm getting that mixed up with uh, another one. Yeah. But still, uh, maybe I just didn't save oh, enough. That, that's right. The, the experience does operate on an old school system because you have to go outside of the dungeon and talk to the guy at the guild in order to level up. You can get a whole pile of experience, but it doesn't do you any good until you actually walk out of the dungeon. Gotta take the walk. <laughs> so, dungeon, it's it's the game. You, you do not play this for the story. If you were playing for this for the story, you are going to be one very disappointed person. Yeah, You are playing so that you can die and maybe not die the next time, only to die a couple steps later. And then you just save again and go fight some more and save and fight and die. How many save slots were in that game? I don't remember. I don't remember either, but it would be a really bad idea to save like at a particular point in the dungeon that maybe your party was already weak or something and you really couldn't make it back out. I was just thinking that. Um, I can't hey, remember how much fun it is to open a chest and then you need your thief to look at it because if he doesn't, then everybody might get poisoned or they might get hit by a bomb. This game, this game will spank you. It will humiliate you. It will humble you. So, and the reason why is that Dark Spire is, it has a really great premise. It's based off of the old school uh, '80s styles dungeon crawler that I love so much that I grew up with. So, this is another game that I was really looking forward to uh, when I first heard the concept and whatnot. It, what it, other uh, what other dungeon crawls did it give you a sense that you might be playing? Yes. What game did it harken back to that you were like, like the, oh, if it's like, the, like this game, I will enjoy it? Like the Wizardry series. Oh, okay, so with the new Wizardry game that Exceed's putting out, you might want to review that. Is what you're telling me? No, no. no. <laughs> oh, Lexi, that's how he pulls you in, Mikey. Watch out. Backstorm <laughs> um, skills at making people review things <laughs> they might not initially want to play are very formidable. Absolutely. You have a, you have a PS3, right? You know, I hear that this one's, you know, supposed to be really good. <laughs> I, are you going to tell me next that you heard some Japanese reviewers already giving it like uh, nine or something? <laughs> Thirty-six out of ten, out of forty from Famitsu. There you go. Would that help? <laughs> So the, the 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 and let me let me put out there one thing about the Dark Spire that also really drew me in the 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 gothic graphic style when you're playing the game in modern mode is absolutely beautiful and then when you and then you have the option to switch it to classic mode in which it looks like a 1982 computer game uh rpg uh 3d experience from way back when and that is just hilarious for for kicks and, and giggles music and the changes music changes sound like 8-bit stuff too yeah and it's cool because i will say this the music is really good in either incarnation it's it's not quite like anything else I've seen, especially in the modern incarnation where lots of strange male vocals constantly go in. But it very effectively sets the mood, and almost every floor has a different theme. 
which is good because you're going to be spending a lot of time on each floor. Oh, yeah, especially if you don't have the magic little map that, <laughs> that tells you where to go. You will be searching for a uh, long yes. time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I I first fell down into the uh, basement and promptly died because the enemies there are much stronger. And that was about the last time for a good eight hours or so before I found a new area with new enemies that promptly shredded me. Yeah, I mean, I remember there was one floor even near the beginning. It might have been even the first or second floor where you couldn't proceed unless you found a secret door. Oh, and by the way, that secret door is in a completely dark room where you absolutely can't see anything. So you're just moving forward and listening for that thud sound to figure out when you're hitting a wall or maybe – And then you have to search everything. And you have to search everything and yeah. That's what you do in this game. You search when you stop. You search every angle which has a wall, then you move on and search again. Mm-hmm. You must do this or you will not get anywhere. And even then you might have a difficult time because there are times where you have to place certain items in certain places, which is typical of the 1980s games. <laughs> um, I think where you know, we're, we're Darkspire, it fell short, was number one, I've never seen an old-fashioned, old-school RPG that managed to screw up control so much. Do you remember you're trying to use a spell and you have to hit like some shoulder button or something like that? And I, I actually got frustrated with the I don't control. remember that, but I do remember this. Whenever you try to use an item for healing, you better be damn sure that you are <laughs> the one you want to be healed because the game will use it the instant you touch the, that person. There will be no confirmation screen. It will instantly be gone. So you damn well better have <laughs> That's what it was. Part. You had to select the person using one like one of the shoulder buttons and use the item using another yeah. button. It was so unintuitive. I mean, yes. how hard is, is Yeah, how hard is it to make a menu-based RPG <laughs> that is intuitive? It's been done for 3 decades. I mean, come on, people. <laughs> hey, hey, don't you love the whole armor class system where Anybody except a warrior tries to equip something, and that person, that character's skill points go down, so they can't use their native class abilities. You try to equip a magician with something good, uh oh, he can't use his spells anymore because that armor restricts his mobility or something. Which it harkens back to the old. A lot of what's in the game harkens back to the old second edition, maybe even first edition Dungeon Dragons rules. So I was I was more comfortable with that than maybe you were. But the big problem with this game is that when you played a Dungeon Dragons computer game from the '80s, you got this really thick 80-page instruction manual that explained to you all the game rules inside and out. As long as you took the time to read that. You are pretty well equipped for moving forward. This game gives you this really skimpy instruction book, and you don't know what the hell anything does. You don't know how much damage a longsword does versus a katana until you spend hours in the dungeon thinking maybe those numbers look a little lower. It, it, there's no explanation as far as how the classes work. Uh, you know. Oh it, yes, Phil, can reminisce with me about getting the advanced classes in the game. <laughs> well, you had to find these secret people, and you had to meet these secret requirements. It's all a big you secret. Through, you had to go through separate dungeons that had no enemies. They were just big mazes, and you had to use the right item for the right person you found somewhere in that separate dungeon. Uh, what else? Um, that was really enough, that you need to find certain things, which you can't find until the fifth or sixth floors, and... Two of the endings of the game are on the seventh floor. 
So you're you're deep into the game before you find this stuff. Yeah, it it was it was yeah it would be without a a decent a really well written uh, FAQ and some good old fashioned maps to help you through this game. It can become an exercise in frustration really fast. Now, if you don't mind playing with those types of guides by your side or constantly looking stuff up on the internet, then I would actually bump the point value up on this a good point or so. But uh, only if. What's that? I'm not saying it's terrible. No, no. It, it, it succeeded exactly at what it wanted to do. Yeah, and, it just... Uh, I actually liked exploring the dungeon. I didn't like being killed by the enemies that would jump me and rip me to shreds inside of a couple of seconds. And I didn't but, enjoy getting stuck for hours on end trying to find out the secret door that would actually let me get onto the next floor. Well, yeah, a lot of those things are really, really obtuse. But the idea of just exploring a dungeon, that set up a lot of good games... And the idea works, and at times, I had some fun with it. Yeah, and if... Sometimes I didn't. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's why I ended up giving it, at the end of the day, as much as I were making fun of it, I ended up giving it three, I think you gave it a 2.5. Those aren't, you know, really stinky bad scores, but it's very indicative of the fact that it was a very love-hate relationship, you know, for me, uh, playing the Dark Spire. Um, and it's not often in the modern age that you will find enemies in a game where you your instinctive reaction is to run away because trying to fight them will deplete your resources to an extent that is unjustifiable. Yeah, and that's what you get a lot of the time here. Yeah, you will definitely think when you're on the fourth floor and you're fighting X, Y, Z. Uh, you know, it won't be a matter of whether or not you can survive the encounter. You'll be thinking, "Gosh, maybe I used too many fireball spells, and now, uh, you know, it's not going to be really easy for me to get back down to the first floor and get out of this dungeon." You are doing resource management, which you don't get, and that's one of the parts about D and D that I liked in playing D and D computer games. You were constantly aware of your limited resources and and uh, planning those out through battles and stuff, and and you really get. I mean, they do do a good job in some aspects of and a lot of aspects between the music the graphics and the the danger of the dungeon in certain floors of really capturing that essence of the 80s and that's the love part i have of it but what they don't what they didn't what they didn't learn is is from some of these other remakes like uh what's uh edrian odyssey or something like that uh you can do uh you know look at new super mario Bros. look at there's so many remakes out there and the way that they're successful is that they you know really take those elements that people loved and kind of put away those elements people really didn't like <laughs> people didn't like the fact in those 80 rpgs that you couldn't get through the game without a hint book or that you uh you know had to search hidden walls for hours and hours you know especially it just those weren't things that people remember finally oh, i remember when i could finally get through that one floor because i finally found the secret door no or yeah i got my ass kicked 15 times because i fell into that basement people didn't like that so had they made and that also this is a, remember how happy you were once you finally got the elevator going that means you can you only have to walk from the fourth to the third to the second to the first floor in order to get out again yeah and it w- this game's idea of a shortcut because there is no spell to instantly take you out of the dungeon. And it would have gone a long way had they simply provided detailed instructions that tell you how the bloody game work and the things about the classes and the armor and the you know the, those sort of things. <laughs> that would have gone a long way to making the game more enjoyable. But as it is, yeah. you can you can actually fact a lot of this stuff these days. Look up the maps, and if you don't mind doing that, and you love the old school games, you won't find one that captures the spirit better than, than Dark Spire.
Cunningham, yeah. after our spirited discussion about this game, what are your thoughts? Dark Spire sounds a lot like the kind of game that I would love to play, but don't think I ever will. <laughs> I've tried to get into that and Etrian Odyssey and class class of heroes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's there's just something about the accessibility of those games that just really doesn't do anything for me. The whole, you when you lose, you start over from scratch kind of mentality. You know, like in Etrian Odyssey, at least you get to keep your map. You know, while that doesn't really help mitigate the, you know, the torture that it is to grind through something. You know, there's certain people that enjoy those kind of challenges, and I'm not one of those people. If for any reason, you know, it treated it like, say, Dragon Quest, that's one series without going into the whole aspect of what Dragon Quest is like. The one thing I love about the Dragon Quest series, having just got into it within the past two, two and a half years, is when you die, there's never a true game over. You lose half money, and everybody except the main character has to be revived, but that's it. I hate, hate, hate nowadays the concept or the idea of losing progress. I don't mind, you know, like in an MMO, when you die and you revive, you have a penalty on you, but you've not lost your leveling progress, at least not in something like WoW or, you know, they've kind of mitigated that in Final Fantasy XI. But games that do that kind of stuff really drive me insane. And that's one reason, you know, the Demon Souls that came out in 2009 was a fantastic game because even as brutally hard and as trial and error as it was, when you died, you didn't lose your – you lost the, the souls that you used for leveling up and for money, but you didn't lose anything you'd done in the stage. Anything you'd unlocked in the stage was still there. Any items you'd found were still in your inventory. Any levels that you had gained or used you know, while your experience collection thing had gone – you still had made some progress, and that's the one thing that I find completely, totally, absolutely unforgivable in this day and age because I've lost so much. I don't have the time that I used to to just sit around and do stuff. Is I do not like to lose progress. I don't mind being penalized. I don't mind a challenge, but I absolutely loathe losing progress, and that's the whole reason I'll probably never play a game like Dark Spire is because of that very reason. With with dark, I should say that the game does allow you to save at any time, and yes, yeah. you dial. But you can usually you can just pick up right before that fight and go, and hope that it goes different this time because a lot of those fights are governed more by the well, you lucky. Than that's else. right, because with this, that's right. Now I remember. Now I was like saving, like when you're on a higher floor and stuff. I was saving very frequently. Um, that does help to mitigate things. It really does. But at the same time. What yeah. what it uh, I'd, I I'd say with a game like with these games like the Dark Spire and this was the same thing back in the Gold Box days where when you died in the Gold Box games and those floppy disk games you literally had, for five or ten minutes were sitting on your hands waiting for it to reload because it took that long to reload games um, so it was always frustrating with you die but the one thing you got from if you did run into something that killed you 
Um, and that's, I guess that's what they were trying to capture here with the Dark Spire a little bit was knowledge. You knew once you had fallen into that basement on that place and died that you weren't going to go there again for a while. Or if you ran into that boss, and that's what you get with Etrian Odyssey with the foes. Once you've run into that foe once and, and whatnot and you've seen what he's capable of, you knew not to go back and challenge him again. So you had like this knowledge. But it, yeah, I can definitely – with Ed, I found Etrian Odyssey more frustrating in that respect just because – even if my party was well-leveled, it could take 10 to 15 minutes to get to that point where the foe was at just to get my butt kicked. Whereas, we, I, you know, not that I really think Dark Spire is a great bucket of, you know, fun either, but, you know, at least, you know, it was saveable at any point. Yeah, I think you're right, Mike. I, I Mac, uh, you know, it's like, it's one of those games that sound great in theory, but I think, I think, I think Dark Spire Mars the, Mars it. I think, for me, it was like, you know, I kind of almost echo some of your sentiments, but it's in a different respect. I, I feel like I'm so tight on time. And when I play a portable game, it's because I have moments of time here and there. I'm standing in a line. Um, I'm on the royal throne room, whatever it is. And it's portable. And, and I don't have time to look things up on a fact. <laughs> Sometimes it would be just embarrassing if I got up and ran to a computer and looked at a fact when I'm playing Dark Spire. So, you know, it just it didn't seem like a good fit for um, a console RPG to be something that practically requires a fact just to understand how the game works. Much less, you know, every time you get stuck with one of its various uh, devious tricks or uh, you know difficult areas or whatnot or the, the tough map. So for me, it was kind of, I just don't, I just don't feel that in this day and age, it's a really, really great idea to have portable games that require hint books and FAQs to, to be able to play in under 125 hours. Just, (laughs) I I don't have the time for it. Well, one thing, another thing for me, as far as games like that is I have the worst problem making decisions. So in a game like Dark Spire or, you know, I keep referring back to like Ketrian Odyssey or things like that, I have the hardest time, actually deciding which party I want to use, you know, which characters. I had the same problem with, like, Dragon Quest IX. Any time that it gives you a full-on, big selection of different types of characters to choose from, mm-hmm. I have such trouble really coming up with the party that I want. And, you know, I'm always afraid, well, if I pick this party and it's not great, am I going to have to go all the way back and restart and do it again and pick a better party this next time? And at that point, I just get to where I'm like, well, I just might as well not play at all because I don't want to play halfway through and then realize I made the wrong decision and then have to go restart again. I have that exact so. same problem but with skill points with no, both yeah, with it, both Dragon Quest IX and Etrian Odyssey because they neither one does a good job of telling you what in the hell those skill points do when you pump points into them. Mm-hmm. Whereas the even the gold box D&D games told you exactly what every spill and skill did right down to the percentage that it affected you. You knew exactly what was happening at every level up. That's why I don't understand with these games that try to harken back to the old days, why they take away that knowledge from you because that was something that if you, yeah, I mean, in fact, I'm, I'm looking at Realms of Arcana because we're doing a PC uh, pit stop on it in a month or two, and the instruction book for that guy is in 19, I think it's published in 1993, I think, and that guy has a 90-page instruction book, and it's not, oh, it's not super comprehensive, but it does a pretty good job telling you what the different spells do and, and what you, what each of the skills that you're pumping points into do. Not super great, but definitely a lot better than what we're getting out of these games like Etrian Odyssey and stuff. Of course, right. you can well, go and look Mac, up a fact, but... I can tell you this right from the start. If you if you play Dark Spire, of the four starting classes, you need all four of them. So just yeah. pick, 
You will need a warrior to be a meat shield. You will need a thief because otherwise you will be poisoned and blown up and fall through floors and whatnot. You will need a priest because otherwise you have no means short of carrying the very limited items around to heal. And you will need a mage because lots of enemies like to be real jerks and dodge every physical attack, so you need the magic. Now, once you finally unlock some of the advanced classes, uh, I don't remember what all of them were, but there are six of them, so you actually have to choose there. But by the time you reach that point, you will have either decided what sort of thing you want to play as in the game, or you will have put it aside and... And destroyed it with a sledge... (laughs) Destroyed it with a sledgehammer. Just... Mm -hmm. Anywho... Wave or stick it on a bonfire, I don't know. (laughs) One last game on our list, and this one will be pretty brief. It was the Chronicles of Spellborn, an MMO for an MMORPG uh, developed by Spellborn International, published by whole bunch of people including claim uh this was a microsoft windows game um released here on april 23rd 2009 and it was um it it was an interesting uh, post-apocalyptic fantasy world using the unreal engine and featuring uh european art i mean the, the 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 artwork i saw in it looked real pretty as i did a little bit of research into it and whatnot um, I didn't even give this game a glance when it first came out because it's an MMO, and as anybody who knows me knows, I really only play World of Warcraft. I don't have time for to, to look at multiple MMOs. Um, but it's a good thing I didn't because apparently this game got shut down not too long after it came out. Um, to We were kind of talking about this before the, the, the podcast and whatnot, but uh, to make a long story uh, short, uh, Acclaim uh, sold the rights to Playdom, who sold it to Disney. Uh, the game ended up with no support despite its very major bugs that would do all kinds of fun things to the players, including them making them change their password every single time they logged in. <laughs> um Unfortunately, um, in August 2010, it was revealed to the media uh, that the game would be shut down, and uh, in August 27, 2010, Acclaim had closed its doors, and the servers were turned off. So there was uh, there was uh, some sort of unverified announcement that, uh, that the game might be relaunched sometime in early 2011, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's probably just a rumor, because it's early 2011 now, and I'm not <laughs> seeing any relaunches, so... Huh. Yeah, if April is still early in the year, then my standards and the standards of the rest of the world seem to have changed a little bit. Yeah. We definitely encourage any of our listeners who happen to know more about the Chronicles of Spellborn <laughs> to write on the boards and give us their comments and let us know what's going on with this now, what seeming, <laughs> see, seems to be a pretty darn defunct uh, MORPG. But, oh, well. Yeah. But that wraps up this round of the Blast from Recent Passage. Yeah. you have something for us, man? I guess. No, uh, I, I imagine that you're leaving off Endless no. Frontier because it's already been covered or going to be yes, covered. Yes, I some left other it times. off for that specific reason. If we talked about it now, then not only would we be lacking most of the people who were there to talk about it before, but uh, I figured there was more deeper stuff coming on that later. So, and I think we already—I think what it was is we talked about it a couple of shows ago, Mike, or. Back in November. November, yeah. So if you want to know about Endless Frontier, no, that's a good point though to make out. Yeah, Endless. It also came out. It also came out around this time. But go back and listen to our November. Yeah, there's a certain game that was released in February of 2009, which we did not cover a couple of months ago because it will be covered very shortly. And Max Storm knows what it is because he and I both played it. But that's all the hint you're going to get for a while. 
<laughs> yeah, we, we try not to kill them too much with double coverage. Uh, so, um, if y'all will just hold on for just a few moments, listen to, uh, listen to some, I think I'll find some music from the Dark Spire for this interlude. We'll be right back with the PC Pit Stop to talk about Baldur's Gate. Welcome back to RPG Backtrack. We're ready to do our PC Pit Stop segment. I've got a fresh trio of panels to help me talk about Baldur's Gate. First up, we have Miss Becky Cunningham. Welcome back. Howdy, howdy. Mr. Roy Burnett. Hello, everyone. And Mr. Scott Walkmater. Yes, yes, we are all heroes. Me and you and Boo and my sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Boo was a fierce warrior. Nobody could stand up to the might of Boo. Eating eyeballs everywhere. <laughs> cool. We'll say that for the end. Becky's in charge of that. We won't take away her moment of glory. Yeah, um, except for Scott's minx is better than mine, so. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Maybe both could do it at the same time. <laughs> that our listeners could hear me boo. Our, our, in unison. Our, our listeners could hear it in surround sound. How cool would that be? That's what I live for. Do you have the power to record and surround sound, Phil? Uh, or do we need something more expensive than $20 software? <laughs> $20 software. <laughs> well, actually, $20 software can do it if you get the right one. Okay, yeah, right. So I'll start off with a little bit of an introduction and, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, from where I'm, you know, from where I'm at because I'm kind of grew up on these D&D games and whatnot and can give a little bit of background. And then I'm going to want one of you guys to go into the story with spoilers. So think about who wants to step up and do that for a minute. Um, so as most of our listeners know, who've listened to all 40 shows that we have up or so, <laughs> 42 I think we're up to now, um, that I, I, one of my first uh, RPGs of uh, playing was on the Commodore 64, and it's the Gold Box uh, D&D games. In those games, they were based on the second edition Dungeons & Dragons rules. Uh, you would create a party of six characters from scratch, uh, whatever classes and races you wanted to, and uh, you would go forth into the world. It actually had 3D sort of graphics. Of course, you can only turn it 90-degree angles, but for the time, that was just mind-blowing because they were actually in color and stuff. Um, it had a, a decent story, and <laughs> the the funny thing was, is back in those days, of course, media didn't hold a whole bunch of text, so you had to look all these journals up in books and things like that. Anywho, the combat was turn-based and done on a big, huge grid, and it was very well done. And 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 I and I just fell in love with this. With that's how I fell in love with with Dungeon Dragons to begin with, because the battles were so deep, they were so strategic. I mean, you built the characters the way you want to, you built your perfect team, and then you went out and you kicked butt, and you had to be careful in combat and stuff. 
But those gold boxes, I think they stopped making them around 92-ish or so, and they really started getting on this uh, you know, first-person perspective bandwagon with games like Eye of the Beholder and, and whatnot and for uh, Might and Magic, which, you know, they're, they're great games in their own right, but they didn't really appeal to me because they really didn't have that strategic uh, factor. Then I heard about Baldur's Gate and, um, and this re- return to being able to have six party members and a more strategic type of combat. Um, when I first played uh, uh, Baldur's Gate with its suedo real-time combat that you have to keep pausing every five seconds, and we'll talk more about the combat Suedo? system. Yeah. Well, I call it suedo just because I kept hitting the space bar. Yeah, pseudo. pseudo. Whatever. <laughs> I kept hitting the space bar like 1,500 times uh, in the combats and stuff. I-, I was actually a little disappointed. It took me a while to stop missing the forest because of the trees, but at first, I stopped playing Baldur's Gate because I was disgusted that the battle system had moved to this real-time bit. And uh, I, I was used to battles that played out like chess and required thought and contemplation. And not that Baldur's Gate doesn't require it, but that darn space bar keeps getting in the way. I have to keep pausing, and it doesn't feel – it didn't feel natural to somebody who grew up off of those games. E- eventually, of course, people say, no, no, Phil, this story is really great. you got to go back to it. And I got used to the battle system, and the story was great. And uh, and I really, really enjoyed the, the game and went on to play other ones. So let's talk about that story, which I think uh, you know many people will agree – is really what sets this RPG apart uh, from many others. Who wants to do that? Who wants to talk about the story? Well, I well, can. I, I was like blowing up all the, uh, the Bioware twist. Yes, because we're full of spoilers. How about you start? And do you want to talk also, Becky? Actually, maybe I should start, and then Scott can do the later part with the twist and stuff. Okay. All right. Fair All right, so you start off, and you're like this adventurer, and you grow up in a little um, monastery place called Candlekeep. And, um, of course, when when you first start out the game, doesn't take long for assassins to come and try to kill you. Oh, no. So you take off with your mentor kind of guy who has never told you about your past, so you're an orphan, of course, because what game doesn't have someone being an orphan? Um and, of course, he dies before telling you who you really are, and you're left with nothing but Imowen, who is your childhood friend and also has a really whiny voice actress, which is highly unfortunate. And so you start taking off and having lots of adventures, and there's weird stuff going on in the Sword Coast. Um, there's some problems um, in the Iron Mines, so you go and sort those out, and there's somebody's been getting kobolds to corrupt the iron mines and there's lots of uh, miners who have very pathetic voice acting and then you start learning that there's conspiracies afoot maybe that's where scott can come in all right so you, as as you find you start uh you sign on with uh, a mercenary or uh, not the mercenary company the the city guard of um of Baldur's gate itself the the city that gives uh the game its name and you start uh poking around uh this Secret society the type. Fist city guard. Yeah, which is the super awesome mega city guard, by contrast, but with the you know level two mooks that most of the city guard is composed of. But you're, <laughs> you're investigating this semi-secret society called the the Iron Throne, and you find out that they really aren't actually doing anything, but they all end up dead anyhow, and then you take the blame for it. And it uh, turns out that this guy um, Saravak was just manipulating the Iron Throne into killing a bunch of very specific people, including you, because you're um, the 
oh God, what was his name? All the former semi-dead god of murder for the setting has foresaw his death and boned anything that moved because he has a pile of demigodly spawn that if you kill them all, you get the powers. It's like Highlander. And at that point, the whole game becomes about you uh, trying to beat him to the prize, but without the Queen soundtrack. <laughs> Although the Queen soundtrack would be pretty rocking. You <laughs> <laughs> can always play it in the background. I, I kind of like I mean, I, that's what the options tag is for, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I now another thing that that was a big uh, a big change for me, and another reason why originally um, I put down the game, aside from the combat system, was the fact that I only created one character in all the gold box. Uh, in all the gold box games, you always create your whole party. Occasionally, an NPC or two would join you, and your party would increase temporarily from six to seven or eight. Um, so, when in Baldur's Gate, I figured out, wait a minute, I only get one character, and I kind of pick up these other people along the way. And by the way, their stats aren't nearly as good as mine because I rerolled five hundred times. Um, <laughs> then, uh, you know, then uh, you know that that was also kind of a, a, a bit of a disappointment. I went as far as to use the multiplayer trick where you start a multiplayer. Game, which does allow you to make all the characters, then go and move that file to your single player directory, save file directory, which now allows you to load it as a single player game. But in but doing the so, other party members had personality. <laughs> that's again something a friend's had to explain to me. Phil, the story is good, and B, you really do want to have these people in your party because they're such great personalities. So, who would like to talk about the different party member characters? Well, I played a good playthrough, so I mostly know the good characters. Did anyone play an evil playthrough? I did two or three, one of which was evil, and evil characters are quite awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, let's start off with the good guys. Becky. Well, I um, I, I was busy going through Bal- Planet Baldur's Gate trying to remember who was in my party. Um, early on, you um, you meet two characters that you'll probably stuck with for a little while named Khalid and Jahira. And they're actually, she's a druid and he's, I don't know, random fighter dude and they're a married couple and um they're kind of neutralish um and you'll find that if you have any sort of strong moral opinions about anything they'll start complaining about everything you do so my one of my early um quests was to find better party members um doesn't take too long for you to come across the greatest character in the Baldur's Gate series and most people's favorite, Minx the Barbarian and his miniature giant space hamster Boo. And um, Minx is a uh, chaotic good barbarian and he's awesome and has great lines and I'm sure we'll repeat them in various places. And yes, he has a hamster um, familiar. Well, he's a ranger. I guess it's a ranger pet, but it doesn't act like most Baldur- most um, D&D ranger pets because it's a hamster. Um but you never you, Baldur's Gate never makes it clear whether Boo is a miniature giant space hamster or just a regular hamster, so you can decide for yourself. So you get Minx in your party, and he's um, he's actually guarding a witch from his homeland. Um, who, I in my game, she bit the big one. Apparently, she doesn't have to, but I'm not sure. Yeah, Did you anyone... can save her. It's tough. Okay, you can save Dine here. I was not. Um, I was not talented enough to save Dinah here. I didn't even know you could. Um, so she bit the big one in my game, but Minx decides to carry on. You have to talk him into, you know, 
still accompanying you, so he makes it his um, mission in life since he failed at protecting his um, first charge to make you his new charge. So you keep Minsk along. And I had a cleric named Branwyn, who was your typical good aligned cleric and I don't remember her having all that much personality except she kept me healed so I was happy um, and I think I had Imowen for a long while um, because she's your friend but she also had a really whiny voice actress so I think I ended up with Alora the Halfling who was adorable and I had Kivan who was an uh, elven archer dude and I don't remember who I had casting spells for me. I, my character was a bard, which meant that I was playing Baldur's Gate on hard mode. Because um, bards were really not all that useful in uh, these games. But I insisted upon playing a bard because I'm a bard, darn it. So those were the main characters I remember playing. Oh, yeah. Um, once I had enough characters to replace Khalid and Jahira, um, I stripped them of all their equipment and left them naked in a field full of ank eggs because they had annoyed me just that much. I'm done. <laughs> okay, Scott, it's your show. Tell us about yeah. the bad guys. All right, the bad guys. Like pe- People talk about a lot about Minsk, and Minsk is awesome, but people overlook the awesomeness that was Tyax. Tyax was a gnome cleric of, um, I believe, yeah, Cyric the Mad. And this was a gnome, a megalomaniacal gnome, who really thought he could, he would become ruler of the universe. And he kind of, he was the one character that got to break the fourth wall in that uh, every now and again, if you told him to do stuff, he'd shout at you. It's like, one day it will be I who points and clicks. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. You also had an an evil bard, which is always weird. He was he he's uh he mostly just con he he mostly just ran con games on people. Like when you first meet him, he it turns out that uh one of the talking about um Eldoth. Eldoth. Yeah, Eldoth. Yeah. He wasn't real evil, he was neutral evil, which is like, you know, self centered evil. Yeah, he he was just a dickish con artist guy who made his living like seducing women, taking them off into the woods for a weekend camping, and then pretending and then pretending that he'd kidnapped them to collect a pile of money off their rich dads. Um, <laughs> you also had, yeah, you also had Edwin, who was a red wizard of Fae, who actually gets to assass- who actually gets to assassinate uh, Minsk's char- first charge. You've got a evil dwarf man who's just sort of a mercenary, you know, standard um, mercenary hardassery from him. And um, uh, Kagane. Yeah, Kagane. And then um, who, who else did I really like? I liked um, Vakina, who was uh, a drow cleric who, you know, was actually surprisingly not a psychopath and. That that's odd in these games where you get an evil character who's just not outright sociopathic. <laughs> she's just she's just very alien and surprisingly polite. Like she'll she'll say please and thank you for things. And she's voiced by Grey Delisle, which is always awesome. Anyone? Uh, Azula, Jeanette from Vampire the Masquerade. 
Bloodlines. Okay. Never ended up playing that. Never have tested. Yeah, I, I, I demoed and now I can't find a real copy. <laughs> For less than 80 bucks. Is it on GOG, maybe? No, it's not on GOG. I can get it through, no. like, Impulse, I think. Oh no! My husband's been been trying to find a copy for a while too, and yeah, it's on Steam, but I don't want to run it through Steam. That's what it comes down to. And then the neutral people are just sort of barely memorable. Like you had Brian Wynn, the cleric, who, you know, he would he he'd just stick around no matter what as long as he was getting a good fight. And yeah, Jahara's just preachy. Yeah. That's why she ended up naked in the on-cake field. <laughs> oh, wait. You know, no, there was Zan, Zan the Enchanter. The most cynical SOB in the game. He was great to keep around just because he'd mope and whine over everything. <laughs> like, I suppose, but we won't do well. <laughs> Were were there any memorable NPCs that come to mind? Pick the um, understudy. Um, I I distinct I vaguely remember this one, but um, I believe there was a Cobalt merchant that uh, named himself Cobalt. He may have been only been in Baldur's Gate two, but. I really remember him as being really funny. I remember getting to tell off Elminster. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) And then afterwards I was like, wait a minute, I know who that was. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, Zan, that was who was doing my spellcasting. That makes sense. Well, um, I I did the same as Becky. I, I um, I did a good playthrough, and... I'm in the category of Minx is probably my favorite character. But uh, beyond him, I really liked um, Alora and Corrin, too. Mm. Oh, um, another just about character was, of course, the um, talking sword. Yep. I'm trying to remember its name. I definitely, I kept it, I think I kept it on me for almost the entire game. Hmm. So, what did y'all think about the villain? Well, Saravok's one of those good villain names. Yes. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's fun to yell. And, um, you know, he, he was, um, like, again, uh, Saravok was just, based, he was sort of your typical evil overlord type bad guy, and you know, he was he was a tough fight, but I don't remember there being much to him bef- beyond "I want more power." Yeah, yeah, he really wasn't like one of the big focuses of the game. I think most of it was sort of on solving the mystery of what was going on and figuring out who you really were, more than "Oh, there's this guy, and I just have to go beat him." <laughs> that was for the next game. But. <laughs> Yeah, it it uh, in in my memory is a, a wee foggy because it has been nine or ten years since I played, but uh, I I don't remember the bad guy really having a whole, a whole lot of depth in in the first iteration here. 
but it got a pretty lot more intense in the second game. <laughs> See, the main the main bad guys I remember were the uh, bandits in the bandit camp because you would be sneaking around the bandit camp and they were constantly saying, "So I kicked him in the head till he was dead." Ha! <laughs> <laughs> that sound clip is stuck in my head forever and ever and ever. As well it should be. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there, I, 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 I can't even think except for possibly, I mean, was there any RPGs before this that just really even came close to the term uh, in terms of, you know, character depth and, and appeal? Fallout. Yeah, Fallout One. Mm-hmm. Fallout One was before Baldur's Gate, but it wasn't. It didn't get nearly as widespread. But it was. It was beforehand. So we're going to change this right now to the Fallout podcast because that sounds like it's more fun. Then. <laughs> All right. I, I will uh, queue up some Inkblot's tunes, and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> uh-huh. We could talk about Fallout sometime. Well, I can tell you, it's I won't be place. one. I, I won't be much uh, use during that one because I played all of five minutes of the original Fallout. <laughs> okay, so um, and that's that's who who did Fallout? Is it the same company? Uh, same publisher, I believe, uh, but it was um, God name escapes me for Fallout. That was Black, well, um, um, Black, Black Isle. Black Isle, yeah, was the publisher. But it, yeah, it was a different team. It was the dudes who are now. Um, obsidian, or at least a number of them. Yeah, uh, it, it is worth noting that Baldur's Gate was built, put together by a sixty-person team, none of whom who'd ever actually worked on a video game before. Like the project leads were doctors. Yeah. Yeah, it's still the same people that head up Bioware today. Hmm. Coolie, coolie. So. What about what was let's let's turn this to like the first hour of the game, the the character creation. Um, <laughs> now now you know I grew I grew up with second edition rules and everything like that. So you know jumping into this was was like swimming. It, you know it's like riding a bike. I just never forgot. So I was able to get right into it. But were any did any of you who jumped into this were not went into this not being familiar with second edition and if so how did you how did this how did that strike you? Um, that was me. So how <laughs> how was your experience at first making a character using this uh, somewhat archaic second edition system? No, no, they totally gave you a player's handbook with the game. You were set. Yeah, and it was it was only like what ninety eight pages. Where's my book at? I got it here still. <laughs> well, All right, I'm, an I'm, abbreviated player's handbook. <laughs> well, the, I I originally remembered the my first experience with Dungeons and Dragons was Neverwinter Nights two, and I had absolutely no idea what the hell I was doing. I knew that there was one cheat code that if you inputted, it gave you this katana made out of paper that looked like it was glowing with lightning and whenever you whack someone with it they would explode in fire and that seemed to one hit kill everything so I just kind of went with it <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to do it <laughs> and, um, and I, I was looking at I remember looking at the thing I was used to I guess a more MMO Diablo type layout where it would say like the sword is plus however much strength, and that let me know the sword was good. 
And then when I went into Neverwinter Nights 2 and it said this sword has 1d6 times whatever, I had no idea what the hell that meant. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> I went into Paul so Thursday. you started with with third third edition and then went back to second edition when you played Baldur's Gate later. Yeah, um, well, never, uh, never Winter Nights Two uh, got me into was probably one of the first PC games I played a few, a few years ago, and then when I really started liking Bioware, I, I everyone always said the the Baldur's Gate games were the best games Bioware ever made. So I went and bought their uh, the battle chest containing both of them. <laughs> I had no absolute, absolutely no idea what I was doing. <laughs> you see, I I had played um, Dungeons and Dragons before. Plus, I was familiar with the Gold Box games because I played those in high school. So, I my my only problem was I got Baldur's Gate my senior year of university when I was also supposed to be writing my senior dissertation. Um, so <laughs> my senior dissertation probably would have been slightly higher quality had I not been playing Baldur's Gate all that winter. <laughs> You know, it, for me, I'm not yet. When I went into it, I was, I was about as good a big of a noob as you could get for Baldur's Gate when I went into it. <laughs> um, you know, and what you mentioned, we we mentioned earlier the the abbreviated uh, instruction <laughs> book and whatnot. You know, the, the whole <laughs> hilarious thing was is, is you, you know, Becky, you play the Goldbot. Well, especially if you actually bought them back in the day, each one of them came with one of these things. I mean, every gold box game had hundreds of pages between the journals and the instruction books and whatnot. Uh, they were very abbreviated because they only covered the levels that you were going to run into that game. So the first game in a gold box series would have levels one through seven. The next one would have eight through 14. And that would be real fun because then you found out, wait, there was level restrictions. I didn't know about when I made the characters with the first book and you carry the characters over. That was funny. So in Baldur's oh, Gate, I'm an elf. Yeah. So in Baldur's Gate, when I opened up the box and I saw the Baldur's Gate instruction book, I held it up as if I had just won the Triforce on Legend of Zelda. Da, 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 da. Because I mean, this was like, yes, we're back to the days where I have juicy instruction books and I have to sit down and read about what I'm going to do. I'm going to plan out my whole. Wait a minute, one character. <laughs> What's the point of having a huge instruction book when I can only make? One character, because it had all the spells in it. Yeah, I just didn't. The book also have a Volo's guide in it. Or was that too? So you would start off the game, and um, one thing that I, I'm surprised you never noticed, JC, is that uh, you, you know you you could set the combat options to um, just pause every turn. No, no, no. So I, I've noticed that, but then that again, it's just it's so 
it's hard to explain, but when you're so used to playing those go box games and things happen in a specific order, initiative order with, you know, casting times of spells factored in that can be interrupted because they're too long, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, it's just like everybody's moving at the same time. Even if it pauses every turn, it's not turn-based mm-hmm. because yeah. it's no, – yeah, I, I, yeah, you're not going to find too much argument for me because I still don't like the Bioware pause and play combat system very much, it, it's which a, is why I play Dragon Age on casual. I know, right? And, and I mean, that's 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 what would this would end up coming to. I either play it on a an easier setting so that I can pretty much let the AI handle most things without too much problem. In which game, in which case, the game goes faster and smoother, and you get through the juicy story faster. Or I played it harder, and I do get that. Um, uh, that sense of satisfaction when I use the team member spells and everything properly and get through a hard encounter, but there was always that aggravation involved with that that whole thing with the space bar just felt so artificial. And as soon as you unpause it, everybody's moving at the same time. It's so different than turn based. If a, in turn based you cast a fireball, you even if it takes a few seconds to go off and other people get turns, you know that fireball's coming and you can kind of keep them in that perimeter and you're moving one at a time so there's no problems. But when you start a fireball in this game. And uh, it, it, what would happen is as soon as you hit that space bar after you said cast fireball, it would take them a few seconds to cast it. But during those few seconds that the game isn't paused, all five of your team members happen to be walking in the same direction that the fireball is about to hit. So you pause it again real fast. You highlight them all. And you're like, run back, run back, you stupid idiots. There's about to be a fireball right there. So you have them run back, and then by that time the monsters are out of the range of the fire. It just – it never – Really worked the same. In the Goldbox game, your fireballs were so accurate. You knew what they were going to hit, when they were going to hit it, and it was never a question. Did, did y'all have any problem with friendly – well, I guess you could – I think on the easier levels, you, I, if you put on the easy, I don't think you got friendly fire. But did y'all ever have any problem with friendly fire and things like that? I made sure I didn't have friendly fire. I always <laughs> set that up in any game I play. I can't remember. I, I, I think that only – I think I specifically avoided invocations. I think I avoided invocations specifically to avoid friendly fire. It was all uh, summons. I, and, uh, I, I just turned friendly fire off. And yeah. at the end of the day, I guess if I really thought about the reality of trying to cast a fireball in the, you know where a bunch of people are engaged in melee combat, uh, you know the re, you know I mean if this was real, I guess it'd be very hard to really aim that fireball to where it only hits the enemies and doesn't send your friends at the same time. Um, but uh, you know this, but ever since Dungeons Dragons was a game, <laughs> it's never been a question. Fireballs are put wherever you point at the table, and they have exactly radius of this, and therefore. It is just a given that wizards, as part of their training, know exactly how to put those fireballs to where they get the backs of the orcs, but they don't touch the party members. <laughs> don't, that's just, just – yeah. I I don't know. My, my, my biggest problem with the combat system um, was that they overpowered enemy mages to a great extent because as soon as you saw them, before you even went into combat, even if you had set up the game to pause as soon as you went into combat, they would throw up like six defensive spells. And so you had to spend the first half of the battle stripping off the defensive spells, which I had never thought about because I'd played – D&D with, like, real GMs, and a real GM would not do anything that stupid <laughs> because the players would murder them, you know? So I, I didn't have any of the spells I needed to use to rip all these defenses off the things memorized, so then I had to figure out how to do all that. And eventually I just ended up using God Mode for the end of the game because I wasn't really interested in trying to figure out how to beat those stupid fights. Mm. Did anyone like the combat system? Because I know a lot of people do. Well, I, 
I think there's a certain amount of cap. Like, when you play second edition, everyone, you, new people will always be like, really? We stand around and wait turns? It's like, no, this is all happening at the same time. It's all crazy and nuts, and you have to imagine it that way. And then this game actually did that, and it turns out no one but a handful of people actually like chaos and mayhem in their fights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it takes, it took a while to definitely get used to. By the time I was on the second playthrough, um, I, I was deriving enjoyment out of it, um, and my frustration with the whole system, you know, decreased a bit. Um, I learned to just be a, a little bit smarter about scouting uh, so that I could throw the fireballs first, you know, and open, I, I'd open up the combat with the fireball or something like that, and you know, kind of change my game plan. Like you said, not rely so much on the evocation. And uh, you learn to value those spells that only target enemies like Charm Monster or something a whole hell of a lot more um, and whatnot. So it, it, it's, it is tough because, yeah, that's the way the board games always worked or the, the, the pen and paper game as far as, yes, this is all going on at the same time and it's, I don't know, round is six seconds and there's, you know, there's all these ideas that are going on in combat. But at the end of the day, that, that pen and paper experience has always been a turn-based experience and and you know interesting interesting thing i think after you saw you know what botters gate did and i don't remember what the overall perception was uh, you know as far as critics and audience was um outside of the dnd you know uh, fanboys how did the rest of the gaming community receive the combat system did, did y'all remember like reading reviews or anything like that i'm seeing that it won like 50 game of the years, so I'm guessing well, people liked it well enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the game reviewers were old school D and D players at that point. All the ones who did RPGs. Oh so, well, this is know. this is probably true. Yeah, I mean, and that's probably absolutely true, Becky. Because, but you know, after as you got through, you know, the Bars Gate and Icewind Dale. Uh, age of games and then you moved on to things like knights of the old republic and you know you moved on from there it seemed like that that this just this direction towards real-time combat just continued to move further and further into that into that direction to nowadays we got games like uh, mass effect and fallout 3 um which oh, yeah, is that, like with the ice ice wind is almost an entirely a click fest <laughs> Well, Icewind Dale focused a lot on the, you know, you're, it, it really tried to capture that, that, that gold box feeling because you're making your full six parties and it's focusing more on the combat. In those gold box games, there was absolutely a story involved, but at the end of the day, the focus was, you know, on the combat, which was kind of an interesting dynamic because if you're into the pen and paper second edition, um, the focus with most pen and paper groups was mostly on the story <laughs> because the combat is, it takes so long to resolve, and it's not. I'm not saying that there weren't. There were tons of groups that enjoy didn't enjoy the combat. There were, but most of the pen and paper groups I was in, um, the, the combat took a backseat to the storytelling. So when you played on the computer and you played the gold box, and it kind of flipped around because the computer could handle all of the obscene amounts of rules and exceptions and saving throws and large scale calculations so quickly. Throw that fire playing stuff. Thacko. No, no, Thacko's nothing. Have you ever looked at how to do grappling in second edition? I didn't even realize there was a mechanic for that. Yeah, I think I looked at it once. Skill, and you have to adjust it for every difference in five pounds of weight between characters. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think I had. I think when I was DMing my sister and I used to do some simple games where one of us would DM for the other. I think we got into that situation once. I looked at the rules and went. Pfft. 
Okay, you win. <laughs> My attitude towards odd sec- uh, odd situations thrown at me in second edition uh, as a DM was I would simply improvise. Yeah, you want to do that? Hmm, that sounds like a 50% chance. <laughs> Flip a coin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sounds like a 20 uh, on a D20 there. Yeah, good luck with that one. That type of thing. I just made up as I went along for some of the more complicated stuff. But we digress. Um <laughs> Um, so, uh, let's see, we talked about combat, what about, what did you, what did you guys think about the, about the leveling up and the different spells, was that, especially for you, Roy, uh, did you find that incredibly, you know, intimidating, did you feel that the second edition rules, or the rules of Baldur's Gate were too complicated for their own good, or did you find it satisfying? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the, the first thing I did when I did the original Neverwinter Nights was that, that I tried to play as a wizard. I thought, ooh, mate, that sounds cool. Let's do that. <laughs> and then, uh, I, I couldn't grasp the magic system at all. So when I went into Baldur's Gate, I went ahead and um, I played as a rogue because just for the sheer fake of uh, being able to do something and have some semblance of an idea of what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, mm, yeah, the mages, holy cow, going through all those spells and everything. Wow. Yeah, and I think the second edition, you still, that was one of the ones where you had to memorize spells at the beginning of every day and all that stuff, and I had no idea what the heck any of that was at the time. I, I, I'm still not a big on the rules for D&D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think that was one thing, you know, looking forward at, uh, you know, at games, uh, especially like Dragon Age, how they just kind of scrapped the whole D and D and started over, uh, moving in that direction. I think that was a, a positive uh, move for them. Not that I don't like, <laughs> you know, those those rules, and I, you know, I play pen and paper to this day, and and I love the, the rules, but they are designed at the core for turn based combat but role-playing games on consoles and pcs are moving to that you know i've continued to move towards that real-time direction since those days and um and it just doesn't mesh it doesn't mesh super super well together so uh that was kind of like reminding me of like eye of the beholder and those other games where uh you're walking through a dungeon you got the four cl- uh, characters but combat would somewhat happen in real time as you would click on the icons and it it was never <laughs> It was never really felt good. You're taking these second edition rules and you're cramming them into a computer game in real time. That it just, yeah. But with that being said, I honestly think that uh, when you look at what they did with Baldur's Gate and the implementation, it was pretty well thought out. Um, if you're going to take that second edition and you got your heart set on doing it uh, in real time, they made sure they had the bases covered with plenty of options, difficulty settings. Um, you know, the, the, like like Becky was saying before, the ability for the combat to pause automatically. These were all different options that you could pick and really tailor your gaming experience to um, um, to what you want. Uh, you know, as far as how much difficulty and, and, and whatever have you. I think the hardcore pen and paper who likes that tactical experience, uh, like me, <laughs> can still, you know, once you got over the whole real time thing, it, it really was satis- satisfying in certain areas. So, um, anywho, mm, let's see. 
There's. Did any of you happen to play the expansion? Uh, I didn't. You're, you're forgetting the most important part. What's that? You must gather your party before venturing forth. Oh. Which was except the pathfinding was terrible, so they yeah they oh. be stuck in a oh. box you know, three rooms back. Uh, this this was the the biggest area for improvement. Oh, this is um, true. Yes, in, in in the game was that the exploration areas were were huge. Like every screen was was quite large, um, and you would explore quite a bit. Um, I explored I think just about every screen in the game, which was. It took a very long time, but whenever you wanted to change to a new screen to explore, you you would have to have your entire party right next to the edge of the screen. And if not, you had the narrator's voice would say, you must gather your party before venturing forth, except the pathfinding wasn't very good. So sometimes you'd have somebody like stuck on a shrub like 10 feet away and you'd, and you'd be going, you must gather your party before venturing forth. You'd be like, shut up. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, how many times were you hitting the space bar? Not for uh, drastic combat that required minute changes. No, just because you knew that one of your party members was completely going the wrong direction, you wanted to stop him in his tracks. So you had to hit space bar, highlight him, and try to get him back on course. Shoot. Was there, was there uh, any other um, areas of uh, improvement you would have liked to see? Um, I would have liked it. If the characters had been slightly bigger than, you know, 18 pixels blobbed together. But... Like, the backgrounds were nice, but the characters just did not look good in them. But then, wouldn't the problem with that... I mean, because one of the problems I have with that game today, um, unless you use some sort of, um, you know, fix and whatnot, is that... Uh, is that is that the characters take up so much space on the screen because of the resolution, how many pixels high they are, that you really can't see what's going on with combat when there's any sort of distance between the party and the enemies. You have to keep scrolling all around God's creation because you can't zoom out. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if they made them bigger, that means I'd even be able to fit less on the screen. Well, I'm not. I'm not even talking about bigger. I'm just talking about keeping them the same size. But how about you know? actual shapes to them rather than just this amorphous gob of pink and green. I don't really remember that, but I think it's because it looked pretty good for the time. Yeah, like, turning it on now, it's very, very odd. It's very sort of jarring to see these really nice, you know, full-rendered painted backgrounds and these great little portraits running up your sidebar and then just the characters, this blob of brown. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, I'm I'm looking at some screenshots just for kicks and giggles. You've got, so you've got the standard uh, UI thing here going on that you know between the bar on the left, the character portraits all on the right, the text box at the bottom. <laughs> I mean, I think the UI almost took up probably a complete 50%. I mean, almost, it looks more like 40% of the screen. So you've got the little, you know, you've got the 60% of the screen reserved for gameplay, mostly in the middle and the upper half. And I'm looking at a party of six in formation, and they're taking up a good another 10, 15% of that screen, about a quarter of the, um, uh, of the, um, 
uh, a quarter of the uh, play field. So if the enemies if the enemies are within melee range, you're okay, especially if they've got you surrounded. <laughs> but if they're if they're off more than I would say five, ten, fifteen, twenty feet in gameplay terms, which is four spaces, which you can get easily in one round, uh, you, you're not gonna be able to see them. You have to do a lot of scrolling. So that was kind of a, a limit, limitation. In the turn-based games, uh, the gold box games, you did a lot of scrolling anyways because it was the same thing there. But back in those days, they only had like you know, 200 resolution or something. So apparently they didn't do too much better with the 640 resolution. But but yeah, there isn't a ton of detail on those those characters at all, and especially if um, uh, you got people wearing like both of them wearing robes or something. They start blending into each other. <laughs> yeah, how many times did you like pause the game and start mousing over the characters because you couldn't remember who was who? Because you, you can't tell the difference. They all look the same. Yeah. I didn't have too much problem with that in my party, partly because it was like, okay, there's the chick, that's me, there's the bald one, that's Minx, <laughs> there's the blonde one, that's the cleric. I, I'm, I'm looking at this one screenshot, and I think I can pick out um, M-O-N, or I think that's the – yeah, I think that's M-O-N. And there's the a bald-headed guy at the bottom, which is probably Minx, but the other four members – well, two of them made this really drastic mistake of wearing almost the same armor set. Uh, but you really can't really pin the other four people to their pictures. I mean, you probably got to know them after a while, but the two of them are just exactly the same as the other two. Yeah, I can I can see that. I like playing with the colors a lot, too. I'd have to make them all different colors, which I used to have to do in the gold box games anyways to tell them apart. I like to play with the color palettes whenever possible. Well, the, uh, although to, to, to change gears to um, stuff that was uh, good this game along with fallout one sort of set the foundation for the modern choice and consequence kind of games so you had to make a lot of choices um through your gameplay and it was fairly simplistic at um in Baldur's gate one your choice was usually something super goody goody something kind of snarky or something just really really evil um but always choose snark yeah, yeah. I, I, I would, I would flip between good and snark depending on how I felt about things, but, uh, but it was cool because it was something that was that was pretty new at that point in time. It was the first type of game like that that I played because I didn't play Fallout One until a couple years later. Did what did you think about inventory management? Nice <laughs> squares. Not enough squares. Little tiny squares that you kept running out, and oh my gosh, yeah. And that, that's the thing is the used encumbrance. Like you, you could like you, you had to give Minx all the heavy stuff, but they still I kept you the sixteen squares. That's right, Minx. Can... You, you can either give you can either give me squares or you can give me you know encumbrance rules. You can't give me both. That's just not fair. <laughs> those little diamonds each taking up one square. Remember those guys? Okay, bought the box, which was unreasonably expensive for a box. Mm-hmm. I think I used a cheat code to take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> I just got rid of those encumbrance rules. I was like, forget that stuff. They didn't have like bags of holding. Yeah, they did. But yeah. again, like for some reason, bags of holding and. And any storage stuff in that game was more expensive than it should have been. Yeah. So, um... There's another one rule of PC games, and it's probably one of the biggest benefits of them all. You can cheat out of your ass if you so desire. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going to say save early, save often. (laughs) 
but but if you judge a game by its mods, it's sort of like criticizing the odd direction Harry Potter took when that goth chick took over the story and started a band. Yeah, I I purchase a reference fan fiction. Yeah, I mean, I personally, as far as judging the game, judge it on its own merits. But every once in a while, it's fun to mod and play with those things. Especially since I think it was uh, one of y'all that told me about the the little mod that lets you um, use the full resolution of your monitor. So um, I or I may have got it from somebody else in Skype the other day, but I got the link somewhere. So I'm gonna go try that out at some point, and if that if that works, wow, that would be that would be huge because you go from maybe having, uh, let's see, the resolution of the game was what 680 by or six something 600 by 480 or something like that, 640 by 480. Yep. Right. Yep. So ima- so the playing field must have only been like I don't know like 400 by 300 of that or whatever have you. So imagine that you can just triple that playing field because the you know somehow it makes use of your extra resolution from what was being explained to me on your widescreen. That would be huge. Baldur's uh, Gate in 1080p? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not going to change the actual graphics or the sprites themselves or anything like that. You're just basically moving the borders of the game further out, so now you're able to see those monsters that are you know 50 yards away or whatever have you without having to scroll because you've got that much more field space. So that ought to be interesting. Um, so did any of you get to play that expansion, um, Tales of the Sword Coast? I was yeah. broke. I was broke. I was, I, 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 when it came out, I'd just graduated from university and I was making all of 20k a year, so, yeah. I know I own it somewhere. I think it's in my closet. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I ever played it, though. Um, Apparently it fixed the some of the inventory things. Apparently it would stack identical items. I, this is what the almighty Wikipedia tells me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> Wikipedia also tells us that it had 20 or 30 hours of extra gameplay from the original. No, <laughs> I remember, um, I, you know, I did play uh, some of it. Uh, I remember uh, that there was a tower. And the tower was very dangerous, and you had to be very careful in the tower. It had lots of traps and everything, and that's and it had some really nasty monsters. I didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, in there because, yeah, if you thought those evil mages and stuff were bad before, uh, when they get ratcheted up a few more levels, they get even more evil and protective spells and all that other garbage, which makes them all cheaty. So yeah, I didn't get I didn't get terribly terribly far uh, in that one, and I do plan on going back and doing a full playthrough, including that because I think it did I think it did pretty you know well in reviews and stuff like that. But you might want to take it on easy. <laughs> um, 
But it added, uh, according to our good friends at Wikipedia, um, aside from adding uh, tweaks to both the game uh, mechanics and the interface, it says, um, you basically raise the experience point to allow you to reach higher levels. Um, I don't know exactly how many levels 161,000 experience points get you. <laughs> it depends on what class you play. Depends on what class you second play. Second edition. Second edition, yes. But the for those of the listeners that don't know, whenever Phil decides he wants to do a backtrack for an older game that none of us have played in for many, many years, Wikipedia becomes our best friend. It absolutely does. <laughs> um... But um, uh, there was four additional uh, areas added to Botter's Gate, uh, including a werewolf island, which I never made it to, the ice island, and apparently the, the tower I had so much fun with was Dulag's Tower. So now getting this game and playing this game actually in this absolute classic gem that everybody should be playing is actually very easy because it's only $10 on GOG. Uh, that's $10 for 60 to 70 hours of awesome, great RPG goodness. And even if you're not into the whole D&D and the combat system, just play it and tone everything down to uh, easy and whatnot, and the artificial intelligence will take care of most of those guys for you with a, with a few spells thrown in them, you know, for good measure. Although, if you're like me and you go into it first time, <laughs> if you're not into D&D and whatnot, great story aside that Baldur's Gate has, you will not know what the hell you are doing. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll just help them out a little bit. First of all, negative numbers in armor class are good. The lower the number and the more negative it is in your armor class, the better. Just just giving you that guys a heads up. That's not something you get but with most every RPGs. every other number should still be high. But every other number, right. Hit points, a constitution, that sort of thing. You want those guys to be pretty darn high. Also, don't ask me why you get a percentile, uh, an extra percentile value when your strength hits 18, but for no, no other stat. But, but just for fighters, just for fighters and stuff. Yeah. Because hitting Rangers. things is cool. Yeah, and when you have more numbers after the strength rating, that just makes them that much cooler. Yep. So, yeah, if you're going to have a fighter, make sure you get like a really high number after the 18. Uh, or do what I do and just keep rolling until it says 18 slash 00, because that really stands for 100. So it, zero is not bad. It's it's really good. Uh, yeah, there's a few things that you got to maybe look up on some facts and stuff like that. And yeah, but anywho. <laughs> well, the number one piece of advice I have to drag or to Dungeons and Dragons noobs, if you've never played it before. Don't even try playing a mage. <laughs> That's not a road you want to walk down. Yeah, make yourself a really big, fat, juicy fighter, and let the, you know, put the mages on artificial intelligence or something, and put the game on easy and call it a day. Um, it also doesn't are... help that this is one of those games where, despite the fact that there's a resurrection spell, if you die, it's game over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, good reason in the plot, but it's still. Yeah, don't let your. It's that's more reason to make your main character a fighter because they tend to have lots of hit points in armor class and tend usually to be the last ones to go down. So, um, unless they're also, also um, rogues are real, rogues are really good. Well, they just level up twice as fast. That's all they've got. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like yeah, in the second game you got the heat can... kits, which made them better, but. You just leveled up faster. And I, don't play a bard unless you're really, really stubborn about always wanting to be a bard, because really, 
They're, they're not very useful in these games. I, I, yeah, I mean, this is kind of off on a tangent, but whenever I made rogues in second edition, I usually made them dual-class rogue fighters because, yeah, their ability to hit on their own just kind of sucked. <laughs> Anywho, um, so it's 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 $10 in GOG, and that includes the uh, the game and the expansion, uh, Tales of the Sword Coast. Is this the first game that BioWare did? Yep. Uh, no, the, the, they did um, Shattered Steel and MKD. They, they, they started off do, working with someone else on someone else's project for that. Boulder's Gate was the first game they did by themselves. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a really, and you're going to see that quality, I mean, right off from the bat with the story, the characters you've heard us talk about it. Um, and and you got to understand that maybe we're not quite as detailed as we normally would be because a lot of us haven't played this for 10 years. But uh, it's a really, really great uh great characterization i mean the story the main plot i i you know like you said the big baddie just uh, wasn't anything to really write home about but he did it you know he filled his role but dang just listen to the characters talk to each other and and get into various situations and listen to what they say was so much fun and you'd want to go through and play the game twice either to do an evil party or just try out a few of the different npcs that you had the option of going with because they were just that much fun uh, it was just really well written, and, and like you said, it's one of the early games where some of your choices really do matter. So you get to see the beginning. If you're a fan of Mass Effect, um, Knights of the Old Republic, those types of games, there's absolutely no reason. <laughs> that, uh, now, okay, I'm going to throw this out here to you guys. What do you, How do you guys react when you're trying to tell somebody about Baldur's Gate and how it's such a great game? And, uh, and whatnot, and they say, but I don't play PC games, or I don't play Western RPGs. Well, um, you don't. you can't really use I don't play PC games any because Baldur's Gate is so old any computer in creation can run it. But if someone is new to the world of Western RPGs, I don't know if I would start them off with Baldur's Gate in this day and age because it did sort of build on a lot of things that we all knew if we were old school PC gamers and that modern people who have only played JRPGs wouldn't know. Um, so I would probably start them off with one of Bioware's more recent eff- efforts, and if they like those, then say, okay, here's where they came from. Yeah, if you're someone that wants to go, if you're into, if you're just starting PC games and you want to uh, get into a game like Baldur's Gate, uh, Dragon Age is a good starting point for that type of thing. This is a game that, you know, it's it's sort of like how Seinfeld isn't exactly funny to new people anymore, is that... You, you you play this, and you see the roots of things, but everyone who's imitated it has built on it so much that you're just... If you don't understand the history behind it, you aren't going to get why this was so appealing in the day. Yeah, that's that's actually... You know. Except for Minx, because everyone just loved Minx. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's... You know, those are actually, you know, pretty pretty fair um, assessments and... and I guess it is kind of a little bit of a of a little bit of a sad note to that <laughs> that there is a, a bit of a bar um, you know set there because of the I think because of the art uh, the the D and D second edition system that wild fun for us old fogies <laughs> is is definitely going to be a huge negative for any of the, the newer people trying to get to sit down and play this game for the first time uh, you know this is a game now this is a game that as we were talking about before comes with the rather thick instruction book it used to be back in the day that there were some of us who thought it was cool that when you bought a role-playing game that it had a deep 
uh, character creation and battle systems and world system and you know details that required you to sit down and read a 100-page manual before you actually jumped in and played the game. So if you are one of those rare people you and you have a second edition, you'll get most of what you need from that book. And you'll figure out the rest as you play along. I actually read it. Hush. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to. No, you, you don't have to. But sort of muddle I'm, no, around. No, no, it's okay. no, 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 no. All I'm saying though is that if you are if you are one of those people who enjoy RPGs, I mean, some people approach RPGs like they want to learn a new system. They want. There are people out there who. Uh, you know, I used to be one of them. I used to be the kind of person that I I loved learning new new gaming systems, new worlds, and I wanted to sit down and read a hundred page book before I jumped into a game, or I wanted to read a five hundred page book for a pen and paper. I'm no longer that type of person. <laughs> I'm older. I've got responsibilities. I don't have the time to get into new systems. I wouldn't want to go back and play. Or the patience. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> want to go back and play a game that's similar to Baldur's Gate, but based on a completely different system. I'm not familiar with that. I got to sit down and read a 100-page manual, are far and around for it for three hours before I figure out what the hell I'm doing. So, But if you are one of those people, I think you'll still like Baldur's Gate. Otherwise, yeah, it's really hard to get into if you're not experienced in a second edition. Well, the, the one thing I've never really liked about D&D is that uh, you take like a, a system you find in Dragon Age, for example. Simple, easy to understand. Strength raises your physical attack, mana is your magic pool, constitution raises your health. Simple, to the point, easy to understand. Roy, what's so hard than dragons what's so is, hard is to understand? What's so hard to understand about a negative number in armor class helping you out when every other number in the game is positive? What what's hard about that, huh? Huh? Okay. It makes what, what's no so tricky sense. about spells per day? Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Come on. Turning undead? Come on. Yeah. That's, that's nothing. Nothing with a you know a huge table like explains that some destroy some turn around and run some of them just kind of stand there for a second. What, what's hard? Okay, nothing hard there. What about dual and triple classing? I mean that's simple. What about the difference between dual classing and multi classing? Yeah, the difference there, man. There is a difference. What's so hard about that, huh? <laughs> See, that's why I like Dragon Age so much. It's really simple. The spells are on a quick bar. I click the spell. It does something. Everyone wins. <laughs> I don't have to worry about memorizing the spell or saying I can only cast it so many times per some imagined day within games There's... or waste on some invisible timer. That... Uh, yeah, and, and did uh, did Baldur's Gate have that thing where um, – did it have the artificial level limits put into place like Goldbox where if you were an elf, you could only get to like level 7 fighter and stuff like that? I think I so. Yeah, that was in there. That was <laughs> all in there. Yeah, so what's so yeah. hard about knowing that if you pick the elf and all of a sudden you can't gain any levels after a second? What's so hard about that? Just, yeah, good times. Good old second edition. Yeah. As I said, oh crap, I'm an elf. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Gary G, we're going to miss you, buddy. <laughs> I think it's been close to a year since. Mm, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah, oh, those, I don't. I hey. don't know if any of our listeners out there do know, but Scott hates elves. Hey, Baldur's Gate comes. Okay, it says here on GOG that you get to download the manuals. Um, it's 125 pages. You want to read That's a 125 page PDF? Oh come on! You, March you got... three years ago, that was it. Okay. You got to figure that a good chunk of that is mage spells. If you don't pick a mage, it's probably down to seventy-five pages. 
No, I'm, I'm not. The spell I'm section not... always dominates the D and D manual. Yeah, well. it'll be more than seventy because you have to remember the cleric list too. <laughs> and and you get two maps, you get a soundtrack, five avatars, and forty-seven pieces of artwork with two reference cards. I mean, come on, you can't beat that for ten bucks. Everybody, rush now. Gog.com. Type in Bonner's Gate. You're good to go. By the way, we forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, <laughs> we're supposed to do the little card that we read at the beginning that tells you um, about the, the game and stuff like that, and we didn't do that. Shame on me. I didn't do that. It's my responsibility. I, I take full ownership. So let's get that out of the way right now. <sighs> Bother's Gate was developed by BioWare and published by Black Isle Studios and Interplay Entertainment. This is a PC single-player, well, it had multiplayer also, computer RPG <laughs> RPG experience rated T for teen. Come and oh, the best part of all is it came on like five CD-ROMs if you got it with the expansion and stuff. That was awesome. Remember CD-ROMs, guys? Let, let me tell you about Baldur's Gate multiplayer. I once oh, yeah. attempted to That's do Baldur's Gate multiplayer in college with my boyfriend, and we attempted to connect our laptops together in such a way as to successfully do Baldur's Gate multiplayer. And I believe the evening ended with both of us flat drunk. And without having played any Baldur's Gate. <laughs> oh, and even if you managed it, only one player got to manage the in- inventory or talk to anyone. Ooh. At which point the <laughs> other guy is stuck sitting there waiting as you sort through all your gems and figuring out if you really need this, you know, glaive guise arm to keep around or if you should just huck it now. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it worked, but it didn't. Ah, uh, yeah, moments like these, I the tell you. Good old days of the 90s. Good old Baudier's <laughs> Gate. You know, that, you know, that just reminded me of something where, like, right before uh, Dragon Age was coming out, people would, I saw some people complaining about the lack of multiplayer in it, and someone made a forum post that said, of, like, multiplayer in a pause-and-play game, how exactly is that going to work out for you? <laughs> you like, one character pauses the game to set up something like, all right, and, I, and then someone accidentally unpauses it while you're doing it. Yeah, that's pretty much how it quote unquote worked. <laughs> Fun times like these. Okay. It is time for the wrap up, my friends. You will each have sixty seconds to convince the worldwide audience out there why they should rush out and buy and play Baldur's Gate right this second. Roy, go. It's a good game with a good story. With a needlessly complicated battle system. But still, I suppose, somewhat learnable if you play as one of the melee classes. Don't choose a mage. (laughs) Well, Baldur's Gate 1 is definitely, it was one of the um, sort of founding games of modern, the modern Western RPG genre, Um, particularly, you know, of Bioware games. And, um, if anybody is a fan of Dungeons and Dragons or particularly a fan of the Forgotten Realms, it's pretty awesome for that. Um, and the characters are, are very endearing. Um, you can definitely play through the game without exploring everything, which I would probably recommend unless you're very, very patient. Definitely has some, some, you know, signs of, this was a game that came out in 1998, and you can tell. 
but um, if you're if you're reasonably patient and you want to see where modern games came from, it's a great game to play. And the other guy. All right. <laughs> is, this is a piece of history. This this is gaming history right here. You can see where a lot of trends just sprang fully formed from the brains of two medical doctors and onto the screens of the world everywhere. This has a fundamentally huge, a phenomenally huge cast of char- of playable characters that are all interesting and worth interacting with in all sorts of ways. And come on, te- you can get it for 10 bucks, and 10 bucks for Minsk is a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah, go Denny's- for the eyes! Go for the eyes, boo! Rawr! <laughs> yeah, I mean, the 10 bucks for uh, a boo is a, is a steal right there, and you're getting all these other cool characters thrown in as well for free. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Um, anywho, um, and you know what? You guys have done such a great job. I don't know if I can really, I can really add much, you know, much to that and whatnot. And I've already said pretty much my piece on, you know, on it, you know, inside and out. So we're going to take a little bit of a break and we'll be right back to wrap this show up with the final lap. What's the final lap? Thank everybody who wrote on our shows, uh, on the boards. I mean, about our show. Um, we love to hear what you have to say about the show and its and its various elements. So please leave feedback and help us out a lot. Especially, I'm looking for feedback regarding what you think of these monthly wrap-ups, where we take some time to talk about the uh, the games that came out this time two years ago, and we usually have some sort of highlight. For the most part, it's been a PC pit stop. Um, and whatnot. So let us know what you think. You can also email that information to jcservant at rpgamer.com, and I'll be happy to read your comments and stuff on the air. I um, want to thank my co-host, Mike, who couldn't be here today, but he does help to put this together in the background. And I want to thank the three of you. Becky, is there anything you want to say to the audience before we leave? Any plugging you want to do? Um, I'm totally getting a Z-board tomorrow, which is awesome. I found it on sale. That's all I have to say. <laughs> and Roy? Um, make sure you listen to the RPG Sanctum. We just came out with a new show today. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It was a really good show, too. Yeah. And and, um, and our, our music person, uh, Garrett Linguist, has made some really pretty opening music for us, too. For it. Uh-huh. Um, Put Phil to sleep, it did. And... Yeah, boring. Anyways, um, and uh, Mr. Uh, Wackenor, I got nothing. But I think you should just—I think you should kick uh, our music guy in the shins because he never actually got back to me about doing music for my interviews ever. Um, yeah, he gets a swift kick in the rear end. 
Uh, Garrett must just not like you very much. Because when I asked him, he jumped right on it. Ooh, playing favorites, <laughs> it sounds like to me. Um, RPG. <laughs> to our audience, we thank you for putting up with us and listening to RPG Backtrack. As always, you are the reason we do this. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com. Help fate shoot shape our future shows. Also, don't forget to follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show RPG Cast and RPG Sanctum at rpgamer.com Becky, put us to bed. But I already used my Do line. it again, dang it! Go for the eyes, boo! Rawr! Don't argue with me on my show. Don't you embarrass <laughs> me like that again. The RPG Sanctum is better. <laughs> Just use the power of post-production to make her say inappropriate things. I will. But I say those without the power of post-production. I will abuse. I'm sure my we power. can make it. I'm sure we could have you admit that you're on crack. Yay! <laughs> For those that haven't known or would not around our staff forum and whatnot, we have been having way too much fun with the tits joke with Tales of the Sky. Becky, say the word crack so I can edit it in. <laughs> Come on, just say it. Crack. One word. Rutabaga. Dang, nabbit. <laughs>